0: An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, "Mary, you're gonna have... what? I can't say it good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby, and you will call him Jesus." And then Mary was like, "I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only..." Teenager, not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> uh, I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, This donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, "We have no rooms. Literally, no rooms." <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly. But then he said, "The only place in here in Bethlehem that that you can stay stay is a stable." And then he just pointed the way, and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angel said, A new baby is getting, getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel was singing us." And then the shepherds said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, Yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, Yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes. Maybe have to camp out a night. Then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, (laughs) and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world.
1: Well, I don't know how many of you have uh, seen that video floating around on uh, social media, but there's nothing like kids to say it just the right way. Amen. And obviously, we enjoy that video because of the cute factor, right? I mean, it's kids and, and their way of saying things. But also love it because of the way kids take a different angle on things. It's not that they change the story. I mean, we need to stick to the story. But many times, instead of just like adults reading a story and just kind of looking at the words and kind of just, you know, kind of just reading it and not really thinking about it, kids internalize things, don't they? They visualized things. You could see those kids reading that story, hearing that story, no doubt from their parents or from church. And as they were hearing the details of the story, they were thinking about it. They were visualizing. They were internalizing those things. They were thinking, this is probably what happened, or this is probably what they said. Two lines that I loved in that video. Mary riding the the, go, the, the golf cart. This donkey's fast. <laughs> And then that that last line, I think it was Joseph uh, that said to baby Jesus, I love you, and you're the best baby ever. There, I said it, right? That was awesome. Now, I don't know that Mary and Joseph acted that way, right? I mean, I don't know if those are the things they said or if that's the way they expressed themselves. I also don't know that they didn't. I don't know if maybe there weren't some of those. There probably wasn't a golf cart, okay? So we know that. But maybe Joseph did say, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, You're the best baby ever. And I think sometimes we need to learn from the kids, don't we? We need to learn to maybe not just read words. Maybe not just hear a story. Maybe not just kind of, yeah, same old, same old, but really to stop and think about it. And think about what what might have happened. And what was Mary really feeling? She was a real young lady. Just like many young ladies in this room right now. Joseph was a real young man. And he experienced some of the same things that you would if you were being put in that situation. So it's good for us to learn from the kids. Stop. Think about some of those things because there may be more to the story that God wants us to get out of. And that's what we've been trying to do for the last few weeks. Is not just read the Christmas story. But to dig into it a little bit deeper, by deeper, I don't mean, I, it's kind of, you know, I, I don't like it when Christians say, oh, I want to go deeper or whatever, because a lot of times they're just me and they want to kind of waste their time on things that aren't important. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is spending a little bit more time on it. Amen. Thinking about it, praying through it, putting ourselves in their shoes and seeing the real things that they were going through and how that would have felt in real life. So a few weeks ago, we talked about when Christmas seems impossible. For Mary, the first Christmas, you think you see Mary in a parade and you see the get-up, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the particular dress they would award during that day and, and you have this whole image of a little baby and all those kind of things. But, but really, virgins don't have babies. That's the reality, right? It is impossible for someone who has never had sexual relations to have a child. But God told her, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary trusted God. And it was a difficult situation. It was hard. But she trusted God. And God did great things through life. A couple Last weekend, we talked about Joseph. We talked about when Christmas is hard. Joseph had a very, very difficult situation. As far as he knew... His fiance had cheated on him. That's the reality, right? We said last time that, yeah, sure, Mary. She comes along and says, no, Joseph, trust me, it's a miracle. And every guy would say, oh, sure, honey. Sure, that's exactly what happened. Wink, wink, right? It was a very, very difficult situation that Joseph was presented with, but he trusted God, and he was able to celebrate by faith, by trusting in the Lord. This weekend, we're going to talk about the last one, when Christmas is different. Almost everything in the story that we are going to read together this weekend in Matthew chapter 2 portrays the message of different. There were many expectations that people had during that first Christmas. By the way, I say it that way. I hope you know they didn't celebrate Christmas. Do you know that? They didn't have a tree. They didn't have lights. They weren't given presents. This was just a baby being born into the world. But during that, and I'm sure later they look back and realize, wow, this was the most important thing that's ever happened in the world. And now we celebrate it as Christmas. But there were expectations. We're going to find in the story that we read together this weekend that a lot of different things happen than they or we might expect. And I'm hoping God's going to use that to encourage you. Because you know what? We have expectations, don't we? Whatever it is, it might be big things, it might be small. It might just be, I like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. You don't have to worry about that this year, amen? I think we're catching up, amen? I think we're catching up for the last couple of years. It may be something like that. It may be the for for a child. It may be that, that gift that you think everybody at school is getting whatever. And if I don't get that... Man, it's going to be a terrible Christmas. Whatever those expectations might be, God says it might be different than what you expected. But if you will trust Him, you can celebrate Christmas this year. And so let's open up God's Word and talk about that one. Christmas is different. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. First of all, in verses 1 through about verse 11, I want to think about this. The people. This Christmas might be different than you expected. Without a doubt, one of the most difficult things about the holidays is what? The people part, right? The people is one of the most challenging things, and especially opening yourself up to people who you might not normally be around, or you might not normally want to be around, or you just haven't been around before or in a long time. But many times during the holidays, we are forced into situations with other people that are not normally expected to be part of our lives. It could be a different direction for somebody. Maybe someone is not going to be here for your Christmas. Maybe you've lost someone this year. Maybe someone's away at school. It's so great to see some of the students coming back from school, from college. It's great to see them coming this way. But you know what? There may be some of you that are, that are students that weren't able to travel home. There may be some of you who are parents, who your students aren't able to come back. There may be a relationship that you lost this year in some kind of a way. Maybe someone moved or a relationship was broken. And the people are going to be different this Christmas. And you're going to have to trust God with that. Let's look at Matthew 2 verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, or we many times call them wise men, from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, if you've, uh, I think all of us probably have heard of the wise men, right? If you go to the mall, if you watch Charlie Brown Christmas, if you know anything about Christmas, you've probably, so whether you've been to church or not, you probably are familiar with the wise men. So it's not strange to us as we read these verses. But I actually need to realize what we're reading here in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 is very strange. There's some strange characters that just don't fit the picture. And I was thinking about this week how to kind of give you an example. Imagine for just a moment, uh, many of us have heard of the, the word Eskimos, the, people, the Eskimo people. I think they actually prefer the term Inuit people. Uh, but those people that may be from northern Canada or across, you know, more, uh, more of the frozen Alaska, if, if you saw, if we were celebrating July 4th, July 4th's a big time at, at, at Lake George, right? Imagine there's like 85,000 people in Lake George on July 4th, right? You ever been there before? Imagine being there the evening of July 4th and seeing some Eskimos walking down the road. What'd you think Well, more power to you. I'm glad to have you, right? Glad to have you, but I mean, how did you guys hear about this right? We're not even part of you know you live so far away how did you how is this even on your radar screen? Why do you even care that in Lake George, New York, we're celebrating the Fourth of July and we're having fireworks. How did you people even know about that what What about our celebration Drew you? To make such a trip. Now, why do I give that illustration? Because the magi were not people that you would have expected to be at Jesus' birth. Now they are for you because you've heard the story, right? But but I want us to kind of go back and put ourselves in the real suit, and you see the reaction as we read the story, you begin to understand it a little bit more. This that they didn't fit. Here's a picture of what was going on in those people's lives, and the magi didn't fit. Now, the Magi, the wise men, the Bible says were from the east. We don't know exactly where they were from. They could have been from Babylon. They could have been from as far away as Persia. So we don't know exactly, but most Bible teachers probably believe, probably around Babylon. In fact, the word Magi probably has its origin from Babylon. The Jewish people, if you know your Bible, if you know the Old Testament, hundreds of years earlier, had been, many of them had been in captivity in Babylon. So it's not totally out of the question that Babylonian people would have some familiarity with the Jewish people and with their customs and even with their writings. So it's not totally out of the question. It's a little bit crazy, but it's not totally out of the question. We think that probably the Magi were some sort of teachers or philosophers or astronomers. Basically, they were seekers of knowledge. They were very smart, so we call them what? The wise men, right? They were probably very smart individuals who studied knowledge. They were seekers of knowledge. They were searching for the truth. And we find out as we read this story, apparently, now some of them, that wouldn't have been in a a godly way, but we find out from reading the story of the Magi here that some of them truly were open to God. They truly were searching for God. They truly were hungry to know the truth. They didn't have the preconceived notion of what life had to be like. They just wanted to know, God, who are you? What is truth? We want to get to the bottom of that. Some of them, to be honest with you, could have been more like astrologers, maybe star readers in a sense. We don't know for sure. They certainly studied the stars, didn't they? So they studied wisdom. They studied literature. They studied writings. They looked to the stars. They were trying to figure out what's up in this world. What's reality? What is truth? And these particular ones that we're looking at seem to be hungry and open to God. It's very possible that, now get this picture, because this was about 500 miles away, okay? It's very possible that the Magi had gotten a copy or copies of the Hebrew Scriptures from the Jewish people who had been there hundreds of years later. So as they were collecting different writings, they had some of these Hebrew Scriptures, and apparently they had picked up some things in reading that. If they had read the book of Daniel... By the way, where was Daniel? In Babylon, do you remember? Daniel was living and grew up and lived his whole life pretty much in Babylon. Well, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26 is about as close to an exact formula as you could get in the Old Testament. If you had wanted to know, go back and read that passage. Daniel 9, 24 through 26, gave the years that it was going to be, when the Messiah was going to come. These guys had read it and no doubt had figured, hey, this is what the Hebrew Scriptures They had probably read in Numbers 24, 17. Now listen, think about this. These guys did not have a lot. But apparently they had heard or they had read Numbers 24, 17 says that a star was going to be associated with the Jewish Messiah. So what you're seeing is people who did not have a lot of experience in church. They had just heard a little bit. But what little bit they had, they had paid attention to. And God was leading them through that as they were seeking Him and trying to understand and trying to find what was really true in this world. So they knew that a star was going to be associated with this Messiah. And they saw a star. They saw a different star because they were star searchers, right? They saw a star that they had never seen before, and they were willing to travel maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 miles. I don't know about you. Our family has had to travel a lot as our kids have grown up because much of our family lives far away. We've done a lot of 500-mile trips. They ain't easy. Amen? I mean, I'm talking about going like 70 down the interstate. They ain't easy, right? Imagine... Being in a caravan, if they were riding camels, even if this donkey is fast, you can't go very fast on a donkey. 500 miles, it's going to take a while, right? 500 miles is roughly from Queensbury to Washington, D.C. So imagine, imagine in that culture, you didn't have radio, TV, Internet. Imagine picking up that something maybe was happening in Washington, D.C. and you saw an indication of it and you loaded up your camels and took off. It's amazing, isn't it? If you think about it in the other direction, since I mentioned Eskimos a little bit earlier, I found, I think there's Eskimos up there, and I think it's pronounced Saguenay, Quebec. Okay, so about 500 miles north of us is a place now. That's even better because you guys don't have a clue about Saguenay, Quebec. Amen? Imagine if you were a seeker of God and you were reading books about, you were trying to find out about God and you heard that, Something was happening in a place called Saguenay, Quebec, and you loaded up your camels and your donkeys, and you just took off north towards Saguenay, Quebec. That's the picture that you ought to have. This was dangerous. It was costly. It was time-consuming. It was a big deal. Now, I want to answer a couple questions that kind of come up with the wise men. First of all, people ask, how long did it take them to travel... And a lot of times people wonder, where did they end up? Now, a lot of times when you see Christmas stories, when you see stories about the nativity, you kind of get the impression the shepherd showed up and then like five minutes later, here come the wise men rolling in, okay? But as you read the story, you see there's the potential, in fact, the likelihood that they probably showed up much later in the story. As far as time of travel, it could have taken them, well, imagine how long it would take on a camel to go 500 miles. And you can figure it out. Going pretty fast, maybe 20, 25 days. Okay, that's a pretty fast camel. So let's just say it took them about a month. It took them anywhere from a month, probably at the least. Some people believe up to a year, maybe more, to make that trip. As far as when they arrive in the story, some people say that they arrive right after. Now, if you read Luke chapter 2, verse 22, the, the Bible says that Mary. Had to go to the Jewish temple for a cleansing after being uh, after having a baby. She would have had to go. They, they would have presented their firstborn son. I believe that was after thirty days. After forty days, Mary would have had to go for some different rites of purification. Okay, so some believe that right after that is when the wise men. Are, and you kind of get some indication from the story. So within a month or six weeks after Jesus was born. The wise men get, and that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If they saw the star when he was born, if it took them about maybe thirty or forty days to travel, they might show up just about time that uh, that this happened in Luke chapter two, verse twenty. Other people, because of what happens here in just a moment in our story, Herod kills all the babies two years old and under. So some believe that it could have been as much as two years, the time that it took the wise men to get there. I don't lean towards. Uh, that direction, but we don't know for sure. Maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe a little bit longer. So just to give you a little bit of the chronology, okay? Because as we read Matthew and Luke, it can get kind of confusing. So I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. First of all, Mary finds out she's going to have a baby. Then Joseph finds out they're going to have a baby. Then Jesus was born. And after Jesus was born, the shepherds immediately it seems, showed up at the manger. Mary and Joseph are staying in a house in Bethlehem. We find that out. Probably eight days after Jesus' birth, he would have been circumcised. That may have been a private service with maybe family and friends, although they were, they were not close to home. So maybe that just would have been between Mary and Joseph and not very many people. Then 40 plus days after Jesus' birth, they would have had to go to the temple. So we see that in Luke chapter 2. And then sometime after that, the wise men come somewhere between maybe 40 days and maybe a couple of years. And then as we read our story, we're going to see that they're going to go down to Egypt for a little bit. And then they're going to come back and settle in Nazareth. So it's a little bit confusing as you read Matthew and Luke. You kind of have to flip back and forth. So I just want to give you a little bit of that chronology. So we can kind of understand sort of how that unfolded. But I want to get back to our main point. If anybody had been sending out Messiah birth invitations, the wise men would not have been on the address list. Nobody was thinking about the wise men. And what I want to challenge us to consider is this. Could it be that there are some people in your Christmas story this year that you would not have thought of? Or maybe even that you're not happy are involved in that story. Or you're not comfortable being a part of that story. But they are. Or maybe they're otherwise fine people, but it's not who you had hoped to spend your Christmas with. Like I said, maybe you're away from family. Or you're away from home for some reason. You're in the military. Or you're uh, you're in school. Or your job has led you away from your family. Or maybe someone's passed away or whatever it might be. And you're going to have to open yourself up to Christmas involving some different people. Because of that, Christmas is going to be different for you, and you're going to have to trust God. Think about me and Joseph. If they had found a home, it seems to be that when the wise men came, they were settled in a home. Okay? Imagine someone knocking on the door, and you see the wise men. Wouldn't that have been a little freaky? Wouldn't that have been a little weird? Wouldn't it have been a little bit awkward at first? But I believe because they were so sensitive to the Lord, Mary and Joseph probably pretty quickly realized, you know what? God did say in His Word that He was God of all peoples. And so it makes sense. First of all, they had seen the shepherds who were were maybe blue-collar, maybe just God was showing us that, you know what? God is able to work in anyone's lives. I love the shepherds, by the way. I don't want to get off track. But the shepherds would have been construction guys. You know what I'm talking about? They probably didn't have great language, right? Shepherds would have been... They'd had dirt under their fingernails. They'd had cracks in their hands, okay? These were men's men. God was showing that He comes to all people, amen? He comes to all people no matter what your economic status, no matter what your place in life, no matter where you're from. I imagine as Mary and Joseph saw them coming, they began to realize, oh my goodness, He is the Savior of the world. And by the way, this is even more shocking because we're reading the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but Matthew is seen as the most Jewish gospel. In fact, several times as we read Matthew 1 and 2, we've seen Old Testament scriptures quoted, right? Have you noticed that? Well, the reason, we're going to read some here in just a moment the reason those scriptures are quoted is because Matthew's making the connection for those Jewish believers, those Jewish readers, between what God had done in the Old Testament and what He was now doing through Christ, fulfilling what He had promised in the Old Testament, He was fulfilling through Christ. So Matthew is very much focused on the Jewish people perspective. You would think if anybody was going to leave out Gentiles, and that word just means all the other people, All the other nations. By the way, if you're not Jewish here, you should say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that the wise men were welcome. Praise the Lord that God is the God of all the nations. Amen? And not just the God. He worked through the Jewish people in a special way, but His whole purpose was to work through them to get to them and to get to us. And the wise men were evidence of that. And Mary and Joseph accepted that, and received that. Maybe God's challenging you. There's some people knocking at your door this year that are different than what you'd hoped for or expected. And you've got to trust God with that. And if you will, you can celebrate this Christmas. It's going to be different that you can celebrate. Let's go to the next verses, though. Verses 3 through 11. The people are different, but sometimes the response is different. Let's look at Matthew 2, verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, the wise men came They said, where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now pay attention to that. Herod asked the religious leaders, the scribes, The religious leaders, they they should know, right? Where does the Bible say the Messiah is to be born? And guess what? They had an answer. Did you know the Bible says in the Old Testament where the Messiah was going to be born? Micah chapter 5 verse 2 is quoted right here. They said to Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, Because it's written by the prophet Micah, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. By the way, if you've not read this story, he's lying. He's not looking to worship. After hearing the king, they went their way, the wise men, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them. So it sounds like the star has come back. It's appeared again to them. It went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's hard to really translate that. It's like overjoyed, okay? They rejoiced when they saw the star. Like, oh yes, there it is again. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You hear the heart of the Magi? After coming into the house, there it is, they saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Wow. Again, we're used to reading this story. How many of us walk into church and drop to our knees? How many of us in the middle of a worship song drop to our knees? How many of us, God, is speaking to our hearts in the message, drop to our knees? Do you see the reckless abandon of these men? I mean, these are guys that, 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 that are out of the loop. They should not know about God. But they're responding to the Lord, aren't they? They're responding with great love and worship and admiration. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's at least four people, or four groups of people, in this passage who responded to the Lord, to the Savior in some way. First of all, there was Herod. And we've talked all throughout this series about romanticizing the holidays. We go into the holidays thinking... This is how it's going to happen, and if it doesn't happen that way, it's going to get all thrown off. Can I tell you this first Christmas was not a real bummer? It was not a major disappointment. Can I tell you this first Christmas, there was a major tragedy that happened because of this man, Herod. We read the story, but we don't think about it. Did you know that Herod was a terrible person? Herod was ruthless. He had many, many people killed because he was obsessed with power and prestige. He built things to build up his legacy. When his younger brother-in-law was gaining in popularity, he mysteriously was found drowned in a shallow pool. You might say, hmm, that's a little strange. But it gets more clear than that. He had some of his political officials falsely accused and beaten to death with a stick. It gets worse than that. He killed his mother-in-law because he was worried about her. He killed his favorite wife. He had multiples. and Apparently, she was his favorite. But he killed her because he was worried about her. He killed several of his sons. He killed hundreds of military and religious leaders because he was worried about losing his power. It is said that Caesar Augustus actually said it is better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. It is safer to be his pig that will be slaughtered than to be his son. And yet, this man Herod was part Jewish. Did you know that? He grew up in that area. His family had converted to Judaism. He built the amazing Jewish temple. He was only six miles away from God in Jerusalem. Bethlehem's about six miles away. He was only about six miles away from God when God came into this world. And he knew about it. He knew. He heard from the religious officials that the Savior was there. He was surrounded by opportunities to respond to God. And he rejected it. See, so he told the wise men, Find me the baby and I'll worship him. But we'll see here in just a moment in verse 16 and following that Herod was so blind to God that his blindness would cause him to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. He was so fearful that he was going to lose his throne that he said, Look, I'm going I'm and, to. And I happen to believe that probably he was just trying to be safe rather safe than sorry. So he said, Two years old or under on them all wiped out. Now, some say Bethlehem was maybe around 500 people. Okay, if it was, maybe that's what, 10 or 20. Imagine, it could have been hundreds, okay, according to the size of Bethlehem. But imagine if it was 10 or 20. Imagine if today you heard that last night 10 children in Queensbury and Glens Falls under the age of two were murdered. So we shouldn't say, oh, that's no big deal, right? You might have somebody this Christmas like Herod. I don't think there's many Herods, literally, that live. But you might have somebody in your life that threatens to ravage your Christmas. To absolutely tear your family apart. And that is most definitely not the response we were looking for. Amen? We weren't asking for that. We weren't asking for here. Then we have the people of Jerusalem. By the way, the, what their reaction to the people of Jerusalem is one of the hints that there were probably not three wise men. Isn't that traditionally what we say? Even tradition gives them names, okay? There's three wise men and here's their names. But probably this was a caravan of people. I mean, you can just kind of see they come into town and they cause a disruption. I mean, they cause a parade or you could say a riot. And that's what, that's what happens. The people of Israel, the, the, the people of Jerusalem, instead of seeing Christ and responding to Him, they were more interested in having a parade and making a big deal over that. Then Herod brings in the chief priests and scribes. Herod says, let's talk to the pastors. Surely the pastors know where the Savior is going to be born. So let's ask them. How did they respond? The pastors... If we want to put it that way, the religious leaders, those who should have known, they did know, didn't they? They knew where he was going to be born. They knew the Word of God, but they knew it in a scholarly way, not in a hard way. These men knew that the Savior was going to be born just a few miles away from where they were. They knew because they had read Daniel that it was going to be around the time in which they lived. In fact, during that period, there were people looking For the Messiah. So here's the question I have for the religious leaders. If they knew where the Messiah was going to be born, if they knew about when the Messiah was going to be born, why were they not staking out Bethlehem constantly? Amen? Why was there not a constant look to who was the last baby born in Bethlehem? Is he the one? Who was the last baby born? Is he the one? A constant camp out, stake out, welcome committee. This is where God said He's going to be. This is about the time we know He's coming. These religious leaders should have known and should have been there. How disappointing. Amen. Then there's the other group, the Magi. Look at verses 9 through 11. What was their response? There was great joy. They saw the star again. Good. They found the baby. They fell and worshipped Him. Don't you just know when you're in God's presence if you're looking for Him? Amen? Don't you? How did they know? We have pictures of halos and glows and all this kind of... Jesus was a baby boy. How did they know? If your heart is open to God, when you come into God's presence, you will know it. And these guys were hungry. They were searching. They were open. They wanted to know God. They said they heard. We come, we've come to worship him. And they brought extravagant gifts with them. Even though they maybe didn't realize the, the true meaning, they brought gold, which was historically has been the most valuable metal, right? It's something fit for a king. They brought frankincense, which was an incense, a fragrant incense that was used in worship. He is not only a king, He is God. They brought myrrh, which was an expensive herb that would have been used for embalming or getting someone ready for burial. This God-king was going to die for our sins. Now, I don't know that they knew all that. I don't think they probably did know all that. But they brought gifts fit for the God-king who was going to die for their sins. Friends, listen, these men had very little knowledge. Would you think about that? I hope that's encouraging to you. If maybe you say, you know I don't know much about the Bible. I'm new to church. I hope that's encouraging to you. Because God says, take what you do know and act on it. And by the way, if you've been a Christian for a while, or you've been in church for a while, you do the same thing. Take what you do know and act on it, and God will continue to lead you. Amen? God will continue to bring light and to bring direction for that person. Isn't that encouraging? God, I don't know much, but my heart is open. Will you show me who you are? Will you show me your path? And if you will, God, I will follow you. They were fully responding to God's leading in their life. You might have some things you're expecting this year, you might have some responses you're expecting. You might, maybe it's as simple as I just want to have a good celebration. I just want us to all get together. Have a good time. And you know what? Somebody might be not very nice about it. Amen? Somebody may not be very excited about things. It may be worse than that. In this passage, it's not just, hey, did we have a good holiday party? This is their response to God. You know what? There may be somebody in your family, in your celebration, that is not very encouraging towards your desire to keep Christ the focus. Many of us have experienced that, haven't we? Maybe you say... Hey, why don't we pray before we open the Christmas gifts? And maybe the kids go nuts. Mom, why do we have to do that? I'm just ready. It could be as simple as that. Maybe not the response you're looking for. Maybe it's worse than that. Maybe somebody persecutes you or makes you feel bad because you go to church or you keep Christ the focus. Not the response you're looking for. But you know what? There's a different direction. There's guys like here. There's that are tearing things apart. There's people like uh, the, the people of Israel or, or the scribes, the religious leaders who were just totally missing it. But there's some people in this story who got it, didn't they? And you know what? Maybe we need to be careful that we're not limiting some people's response. There may be some people in your story this year that are more open to God than you think. Now listen to me. Because many Christians I find limit God's work or the possibility of God's work in some other family and friends' lives. Do you hear me? Many women tell me, Pastor Robbie, my my husband is never stepping foot in this building. The first thing I'm going to say is, well, that's not a big deal to me. I just want him to know the Lord. Amen? What I do say is, You know what? Let's don't limit God. Let's don't. Let's don't. And many times, friends, listen, as spouses, as parents, sometimes we state things as if they're true and we limit God's work. Maybe someone, and by the way, I'm not trying to get on the ladies here because ladies, bless their heart, are usually the ones that are open to God first. Amen? They're usually the ones trying to drag their husband to church. Okay? That's that's just what we see many times. So God bless you, ladies, for that. But maybe there's a lady who's saying, I, w- I want to go to church, but I know you probably don't want to go. Do you hear that? Hey, I want to go to church for Christmas Eve, but hey, I know you're probably not interested, so I'll go and then I'll be back later. You see what's happened there? You've limited God. Just because somebody has never been to church before, just because somebody has never been open to God before, just because somebody looks like or seems like to you, that they are not interested in God, don't limit God's work because sometimes, in fact, that's the amazing thing in the Bible. The amazing thing that you find is the people that you thought you could rely on many times didn't get it. It was the supposed outsider or the foreigner or the person that you didn't think fit the mold. Isn't that encouraging? But friend, listen, it should be encouraging for you because I feel like an outsider, amen? And I need to know that God can work in somebody like me, but then let's turn that around and give it to other people. Maybe you're going to get a response you didn't expect this year. Maybe that person who said, I will never step foot in that church won't mind coming to the Lindsay Falls Civic Center. Amen? Because we're going mobile. Or maybe they'll come to the candlelight service and say, you know what, that church isn't so bad. I think I might want to go with you next week. You know what happens many times? You do. You never said that before. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Say it in here. Amen. Say it in here. And then what comes out is, okay, sure. Amen. Do you hear me? There might be some people showing up to the Lord this year. There might be some people at your family get-together that you think, you know what, they laugh at me, they joke about God, and you go into it all bent out of shape, and maybe that is going to happen, and you've got to ask God to help you and pray about that. But maybe that person is hurting this year, and maybe that person knows that you're the one person there who will pray for them. And maybe God's just going to surprise you with a response you never imagined getting. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Let's think about the last thing we talked about the people, we talked about the response, but let's talk about God's plan. Maybe God's plan is going to be different than you expected. It's one of the hardest things about life, isn't it? That it doesn't go the way I wanted it to. Amen? Matthew 2, verse 12. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. They were getting ready to go back. They had their plan for the way they came. Apparently it had been safe. Maybe it had never been that way before. You can imagine they probably were going to go back the same way. But guess what? God changed their plans. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Now we live in Nazareth because, remember I said last week, Much like where we live, they had to pay their taxes. Because we had to pay our taxes, we had to come to Bethlehem. Here we are in Bethlehem, away from home, away from our doctor, away from the hospital that we know. In this stable, they don't even have any rooms. Found a house to rent for a little bit till we get all this straightened out. We're just ready to do what? Get back home. And now God says, you're going to Egypt. Now if you look at the map, Egypt wasn't terribly far away, but it was the other direction from home. So Joseph got up. Well, it says, Take him to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his wife and his mother, while it was still night, left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what it was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. So the wise men are told a different plan. Joseph and Mary are told a different plan. And by the way, they go to Egypt. We find out what happens. If you read 16 through the end of the passage, that's when Herod kills all the babies, trying to find and take Jesus out. They stay in Egypt. Then later God tells them to come back. They come back there. One of Herod's sons is in control. They figure he's probably just as ruthless. So then finally they get to go back to Nazareth where they're from. But you see, it didn't all work out like they might have planned. God's plan was different than what they expected. Can I share with you, it's probably going to be different than what you have in mind this year, amen? Sometimes things have to change. Thanksgiving, we usually go get our Christmas tree. We've always, I mean, we just load up like a bunch of sardines in my little truck. There's six of us, there's six seat belts, but there's really not enough room for six people, you understand what I'm saying? And I don't know why, we picked this tree farm that's way far away, and it takes all day, and we tromp up a hill, and cut down the tree, and sometimes there's snow, and sometimes there's mud, and we stop and eat on the way back, and it's just kind of a good memory. Well, this year, it became very apparent, we ain't doing that. So what did Robbie do? I got in my truck, I drove about five minutes away to one of the local nurseries, picked out the prettiest pre-cut we could, and by the way, it's probably the best tree we've ever had, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a really pretty tree. But I'm not going with that, because next year I want to go back to the farm. But anyway, the Lord just spoke to me on the way over there. You know what, I was a little bit let down, this is a fun thing we do, and the Lord just said, get over it. Just chill out. You know what? You're together. You're having fun. It's just not going to work out this time. And you know we had a great time together. Sometimes the plan is going to change. And you know what? That's a silly example. It might be a lot different than that. But we got to trust the Lord. Amen? The Holidays can be such a challenge. Chris, don't romanticize it as if they had it all perfect. It was hard. There were a lot of real life hard things that Jesus and his family and those around them had to deal with. And God worked in and through that situation and he will work in yours too. And you can celebrate. Maybe even more because you'll know what a great God he is. I want to ask you to bow with me for just a moment. I don't take these things lightly because I know the holidays can be very, very, very difficult. Right now, someone knows they've got to have a conversation During these holidays, and you're not looking forward to it. You trust the Lord. You ask God to help you. Is He still the same God He was 2,000 years ago? Yes, He is. Do you love the Lord like Mary and Joseph and the wise men? Are you open? Even if you don't know much. lot of different things in your life right now than you expected maybe earlier this year and it's not going to be the same but will you trust that God is still good oh Lord we love you and we thank you that though life is hard that you will help us and we pray that you give us the strength to trust you Lord we didn't anticipate all this. It wasn't what we were planning for. We thank you that you're not surprised, and that you are for us, not against us, and that you will help us if we will trust you. And I hope there's someone here right now, like the wise man, He says, You know what? I don't know a lot about God, but I need Him. And He's speaking to my heart, and I ask Him, Would you ask Him right now, friend? Would you, just like the wise men, bow in your heart? Maybe even if you physically want to get down by your chair, just say, God, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. I've been searching for you, God. I've been looking for the answer, and I know you're the one. God, please come into my life. I give my all to you. I give my heart. Please forgive me. Please save me. Help me, God. Walk with me. Teach me. Father, we're so grateful for your word and we're so thankful for you using it in our lives right now. Help us to leave here trusting you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.